Maybe I should go to the movies while you're gone. That's what I, that's what I said. Oh, me? Yeah, maybe you yeah. should go like pick a movie to go see. Yeah. And see one while we're. While I we're I do love uh, going to the movies by myself. Yeah, it rocks. Yeah. That you can't talk to anyone walk. anyway. Like I don't really understand what's the point of going to a movie with someone. A movie is a shitty date unless you really know each other very well. Yeah. You shouldn't go. Or don't want to wanna talk. And you yeah, know you don't want to talk to them. Which, in that case... You just want to make out afterwards. Yeah. You want them to shut up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, that's... But them. they won't They won't fool around with you unless, you know, something date-like happens. So you're saying it's a good date to take a dumb bitch on? I'm thinking from my perspective. I'm thinking a dumb well, guy. Well, yeah, dumb bitch could little, be... Like dumb meat, bitch could be meat anybody. Meat candy. Meat candy? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> meat candy. <laughs> you know, like a... Like a yeah. hot guy that's like stupid a and you want him hunk. to just shut his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I wouldn't know anything about that. I know you wouldn't, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> um, who's a celebrity who's like incredibly stupid, but it's very hot? Okay, don't yell at me. Okay. I think Aaron Carter is kind of hot. Oh. <laughs> just a little bit. Oh. And I think he's probably profoundly dumb. He looks like a snake. He's definitely profoundly dumb. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. <laughs> he looks like Draco Malfoy in the Island Boys. Like, had some Ugh. sort of gang. Ugh. I mean, you know, I love, he's, but I love, um, you know, the food guy. Fuck. I guy Fieri. No, not Guy Fieri. <laughs> yeah, Guy Fieri. Um, Brad Leone. Oh, Brad Leone. I think he's kind of... You think he's a ding-dong? Well, yeah. He's got dumb guy energy, but in the cutest way. Interesting. Who, what about I'm, like an athlete? Ooh, I think we should go athlete. Athlete. Ryan Lochte. He's oh, the, yeah! What yeah. a hot dum-dum. Oh, he's so yeah, he's dumb. he's such a dumb, dumb idiot. Oh, my God. He I was so hot. They gave him a reality show in Florida. He's a Florida man. He is a Florida and man. it was so boring because he was just he that was just dumb. a fucking he was just he was running so into dumb. walls. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's such a good answer. Oh, beautiful. Oh, that's very good. You know, I can't really think of a, a woman one. Mm, that's dumb. hot. But I also think that's because when a woman displays dumb dumb tendencies to me, I I immediately go, You're not hot anymore. <laughs> I know you do. Hmm. Hmm. A reality show person or reality show person. Yeah, but like all the girls on Too Hot to Handle. But mm -hmm. then again, like the minute they start acting like a ding dong, I'm like You lost me. You lost me. You lost mm. me. Hi, you're listening to the Florida Woman Podcast. My name is Nathan Simpson. And my name is Kelsey Ann Wacker. <laughs> <laughs> Do you sound like we're on NPR? Yeah. That's if we were that's if we were uh, reporters. Fay tweet. Uh, East Coast intellectuals. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty fun to do, though. Did you like that? Yeah. Today on our podcast, we're diving into the movies. We're discussing the critically acclaimed 2017 film, Indie Darling, The Florida Project. Dude, I can't speak with this cadence. More than, <laughs> I can't use that cadence more than like five seconds at a time. I feel allergic to it. What if you were listening to the radio? And you listen to a program that sounded like this. Would you keep listening? <laughs> I mean, I have. I'm it's Ira not Glass. proud to admit. It's Ira yeah. Glass. Well, I was thinking it sounds like a little like Guy Raz. 
Guy, it definitely sounds like Guy Ross. That's the mm-hmm. podcast sphere, it's though, the, right? It's yeah, the podcast the... voice. The male, it's mid, mid-tone. mid It's a little higher than you want. Oh, yeah. Very nasal. Yeah. And uh, intellectual cadence somehow. Yeah, yeah. Um, nervous. He's got Academic a nervous cadence. tone t- as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't want to approach him too quickly. No. <laughs> he might spook him. Who else does that sound like? Sounds like that comedian <laughs> that... Uh, oh, Chris Gethard. Chris Gethard, yes. I saw him... Bomb. You know what's funny? People talk about how how college campuses, like comedians like to complain about how college campuses, like you can't do them anymore. Like the kids are too woke. Like they're too they're too freaking liberal. Like they they'll boo you off the stage. They'll like stage a protest. It's so fucking funny. It's utter bullshit, by the way. Because I saw in 2016, or maybe it was 2017, I was at a screening of a short film that I was in. And it was like part of a, a film festival at a university. And part of their like celebration was they had some comics come in. And so it was a crowd of drunk college students. And they brought in the two polar opposites. They brought in Chris Gethard to open. And it was like, it was so embarrassing. It was the worst bombing I'd ever seen. Like, what do you feel when that's happening and you're, you're, you're like, sitting there? Like, how does that feel in your body? Oh, man. It's it's worse than if, like, people were yelling at him or anything. Because we were all just, like, silently paying attention and, oh, like, giving him our the focus. The benefit of the doubt. And the benefit of the like, doubt. Like, he's going to say something funny at some point. And he fucking couldn't make us laugh. He oh, couldn't no. do it. So there and weren't Chris even Gethard, fake laughs? There weren't, like, throwing out oh, a few, Oh, th- I like, mean, there was a few pity laughs. <laughs> Like the, oh. I mean, it was literally like that. Oh God! The feeling was like, the feeling was like watching uh, an animal get run over. It mm. was so like bad. like there's nothing you can do about it. It was so bad, so bad, and you could see him sweating and shaking. And here's the thing, Chris Gethard. This is what I was talking about. The point I was making. Chris Gethard is as left leaning as like sensitive, like intellectual, like you know, typical like East Coast literati type. NPR tote bag fucking comic as you could possibly get. And he fucking bombed. And then they bring out Nick DiPaolo. Wow. Oh my God. His the literal most opposite. brash, brazen, conservative fucking asshole that you could possibly imagine. And he murdered. Oh fuck. He murdered in a crowd of college kids in 2017 bunch of fucking millennials so i every time i hear somebody like complain about how like or hear a comic complain about how woke audiences are i go you're fucking wrong because i was at a college surrounded by like liberal fucking artists and nick DePaolo killed and chris gethard didn't <laughs> oh fuck did it- Put your fucking money where your mouth is. He his first joke when he came on, he literally like Chris Gethard, he just slinked off the stage with his fucking tail between his legs, and then Nick DiPaolo comes out, and the first thing he says is like, "Jesus Christ, it looks like the Sloan Kettering waiting room out here." Oh, <laughs> it was so bad that he had to acknowledge how fucking bad it was. Oh wow! Dude, but he turned he turned I mean, it around. He murdered. He murdered fascinating no no it's of course it is yeah of course it is chris gethard i i i don't know what to say man i'm i'm so sorry it didn't it was not working and he's got that npr voice 
Um, this has nothing this to do, has with, nothing our to do podcast, with the podcast. But no, what an interesting conversation we had. Um, <laughs> I hope Chris, I... Chris Gethard never listens to this. <laughs> and he never will. No, I never will. Yeah. Um, today we are doing something a little different. We watched a Florida movie. Yes, we did, babe. The Florida Project. Yeah. The 2017 film by Sean Baker. Mm-hmm. And we're just coming on the pod to talk about it. Yeah. That's really it. Talk about the movie... How it struck us, because, you know, we're movie people, we make movies, we're in them, we write them, we're in the movie industry, so we like, we have a perspective on that, but also we just love movies. So Yeah, like, we do. So we're, we're going to review it, we're going to go through the plot, um, but we're also going to talk about how it relates to Florida and like what, what it means, like how, how the... Um, how it expresses Floridianness. Absolutely. Because I think it does it beautifully. Oh, I, I and do too. check it out. If you don't want spoilers, go watch it first. Pa- put this on pause. Think about our interesting conversation that we just had about <laughs> guys that we think are not cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, basically that sums yeah, up the conversation. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, and go watch it and then come back to this because we're just going to tell you what the whole plot is. But first, but the thing about I do want to say. But first, I do want to say, what's your favorite movie candy? My favorite movie candy? Listen, Kelsey and you know I'm not a sweets guy. I, know. I don't really have a sweet tooth. I know. My, um, movie candy, it's not really my, my forte. But like, what but would you like get if you had to get something? a movie snack. I mean, if you're talking about like popcorn. Yeah, he's going to go popcorn. You can take some M&Ms and throw the M&Ms in the popcorn. And a Diet Coke. Yeah, I like yeah, it. I know. Or I like chocolate covered pretzels. You do, yeah, yeah. Those yeah. are good, but you don't get those at every movie theater. No, nah, no, nah, those are like specialty. Swedish fish? Mm, Swedish fish is all right. Mm, okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 But listen, I like to go to the movie theater, the cool movie theater in Brooklyn that you don't have if you don't <laughs> live here. <laughs> and like, I get like, I like order cocktails while Oh, hell it. yeah, it's dude. great. Or alcoholic milkshakes. See, that's those the shit. Really good. That's crazy. Bourbon. My, my movie candies are, are strange, but I'm a candy person, so I appreciate every candy, including yes. the ones that you just mentioned. But I'm weird. I would go Raisinets, Milk Duds. I know, guys. I know. Milk and Red duds. Vines. Are milk duds the one the malted milk balls that have like the no, crunchy stuff inside? No, I hate those. No, yeah, they that taste is a like candy vomit, I really dude. hate. I hate those things. It's, Whoppers. It's is that a what sort those are of called? yeah, Whoppers. It's a sort of like citric acid. Like that's what where yeah, the it vomit. Like it's like um, up. Oh, it's there's terrible. something acidic about it. Yes. Yeah. Tastes no, like no. bile. Bad, bad, no, bad. No. no, milk duds are the ones that like you get your molar pulled out. Like they pull out fillings oh, yeah, and yeah. stuff. They're caramel, but they're like really hard yeah yeah. (laughs) i really like them yeah you gotta warm them up a little bit yeah and red vines over twizzlers red vines are superior red vines over twizzlers oh yeah interesting why is that um i just like the texture and also the flavor is more it's more intense like the Mm -hmm. flavor is more like cherry flavor yeah as opposed to like i find twizzlers a little bland. Are they supposed to be cherry flavored? Yeah. I thought they cherry were strawberry. Cherry or strawberry. Interesting. Either way. Just red They make both. Fruit. Yeah. yeah. And see, you can't even tell. You don't even know what flavor a Twizzler no, is. No. You did... Well, it tastes like Twizzlers. I know. Yeah. Okay. No, red your... vines are like, they're cherry flavored and the consistency is less like waxy. I don't know. It's yeah. less glossy. Interesting. It's, it's more like chewy. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Totally. What about like... Um... What's your feeling on black licorice? I love, that's a device I love of black candy. licorice. I do too. Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's great. great. Yeah. I love Australian licorice. Oh, that shit's good. That's really good yeah. shit. Yeah. 
it's got like a little salt in it too. Mm. See, this yeah. is where I this is where I, I tend to enjoy my sweets is like on the savory side. Right. You like like a chocolate chip cookie that's like dark chocolate with like sea salt. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. going savory anyway. Exactly. Or like my favorite cake is one that you make. It's like lemon olive oil cake. Yeah. That's good shit, dude. That's good shit. Like I don't need like devil's food or like fucking you know. What what other cakes you don't even are know. there? <laughs> yeah, I don't even know. Cakes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, like a buttercream frosting, like birthday cake. No, dude, give me give me something that's riding that line. You know <laughs> that's the chocolate covered pretzel yeah. too. What about like okay, this is not movie theater candy, but like what about those little like Coke bottles that you like, or like the little waxy bottles that yeah. you bite the head off of and you suck that like. Um, I mean, it's disgusting. Only yeah, children can eat those. I agree, I agree. but I would. I would do one if someone gave one to me. Like I, I'm curious about that experience as an adult. But what if they made adult ones? Probably gross. What if they made adult Ooh. ones that have like cool flavors or like alcohol? Oh my god! What That'd did rock, we just come right? up with a business idea? Well, I think we did, baby girl. <laughs> I hate popcorn too. Fuck you. I just think it's like boring and it gets stuck in your teeth and it's yeah. just like a weird texture. It's like it's like it's like packing peanuts. Yeah. Ugh. All right. You're wrong. Let's talk about the movie. Popcorn um, is delicious. I'm going to make some right now, actually. I'm pausing the podcast to make some popcorn. So, babe, first and foremost, I think when we're talking about this movie, we got to... The first thing we should do is break down the title. Oh. The Florida Project. Right. So, The Florida Project is a moniker that was used for Disney World when Walt Disney was contemplating it as his second project the Mm -hmm. follow-up to disneyland so he started disneyland in anaheim and that was a success he was looking to build another theme park and actually to build a multi-theme park city that would be something where um families would travel and need to stay overnight a few nights in order to experience the whole thing so multiple right. parks multiple yeah, yeah, attractions yeah. Yeah, yeah. something that disneyland didn't have and yeah, they didn't have the land for it became disney world and he called it and everyone called it the florida project while they were building walt's florida project yes. yep but this movie this movie takes place in orlando like right down the highway from the florida project disney world absolutely and it takes place in a motel um, where pretty much a lot of poor people who are hard on their luck live week to week. Yeah, I always thought it was a play on like the project yeah, as I, well. That's what it is. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like it's in Florida. It's basically a project building mm-hmm. because it's like a low rent place where basically itinerant people can live on a on a week to week basis. And it's about a, a gang of kids like six-year-old kids who are running around, they're on their summer break, and they live in this Florida project. And um, they, their parents have like set up shop there and have been living there for, you know. Right. The description on IMDb says, Set over the summer, the film follows precocious six-year-old Mooney as she courts mischief and adventure with her ragtag playmates and bonds with her rebellious but caring mother, all while living in the shadows of Walt Disney World. Yep. Yeah. That's pretty much it. And Willem Dafoe runs the... He's the manager. Yeah, yeah. So this is an interesting movie because it is very much not plot driven. Not at all. There's not a lot of story plot happening here. Yeah, it's uneventful. There are like three events that take place during this movie. 
And most of the movie is setting up these characters, like what's going on in their emotional lives, and setting up the setting itself, like bringing you deeply into this world of Florida outside of the resorts and outside of the theme parks. Right, like the dark underbelly. Yeah. Yeah, like the the Orlando in the shadows that tourists don't see, you know, exactly. the reality of people actually living Florida. in Orlando. Yes, yeah. which is part of the whole... The whole project of this podcast is to get into the reality of Florida. Yeah. And I think it does that really well. I think it's authentic. It mm-hmm. rings realistic. Mm-hmm. Granted, I've never lived in a motel. Um, but Right. You're as, not speaking from experience here. Right. But. but just as someone who lived in Orlando. The characters ring true. The characters ring true. The setting is used beautifully. I, mm-hmm. I think that this movie would be jack shit without the setting and the way that yeah. it uses it. Yeah. Um, it's more of a meditation on childhood poverty in Orlando, mm-hmm. sort of celebrating Orlando and really juicing that backdrop than it is a no movie to me. Yeah. yeah. Than it is like a movie. Yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. It's so we start off at the beginning of the movie. We see this gang of like three little six year old kids and they are just running absolutely wild. And what happens is they're just hanging out at this place. The place that they live is called the Magic Castle. And it's this big motel that's like got like four stories. It's painted purple. It's got like a shitty little uh, fake facade of like a castle like turret on it. And it's basically a motel that exists to draw people who are going to Disney World in and sort of trick them into staying there. Like obviously they have very cheap rates and but it's like very much towing that line of like we are a magic castle. You know what I mean? They're, they're trying to get people to like look up Magic Castle online and go, oh, it's a Disney resort. And then they show up. It's a fucking motel and they're stuck there. So um, they start off at the Magic Castle and uh, one of the kids comes up and goes like, come on, come on, we got to go. And they run down the highway. There's a lot of walking on highways in this movie. Yeah, because there's no sidewalks in a town like this. No. There's no like... It's not pedestrian friendly. No, it's not built to be walkable. Mm-mm. It's built to like drive around in. So if you don't have a car, you have to just walk on the side on of the, the highway. highway. Yeah. yeah. So there's a bunch of scenes of these little kids just running across parking lots and running down the highway. So the very first thing they do is they run down the highway to the next motel down and they go up onto the balcony and there's a car out there and they start spitting off the balcony onto the car. So needless to say, these kids have zero supervision mm-hmm. and they're basically allowed to do whatever they want until they get in trouble. And then you'll see, you'll find out what happens later. But um, so they, they start spitting on this car and then this lady comes outside and she's smoking a cigarette and she catches them doing that. And she goes, hey, you fucking kids and basically chases them away, finds out that they live in the Magic Castle and then um, confronts. The mother of Mooney, and this is the first time we meet the mom. Mom is like a 20, what, 23-year-old? 23-year-old, basically kid. Um, We were talking about Arrested Development earlier. Like, this woman is basically a a perpetual child. Yeah, Yeah. she's a teenager. Um, But she's like, you know, mom is like tatted up, like covered in tattoos. She's got like blue... uh, Ombre, what do you call that? Blue. Yeah, it's like, just it's blue hair dye blue that's hair dye. growing out. Yeah, shitty blue hair dye. She's constantly smoking. I don't think she is ever in a scene without smoking a cigarette. You know, she's got like lip gauges and shit. And this is not to judge people who have tats and smoke and have lip gauges, 
but it's just sort of a, a sketch of her attitude and her character. And she's she's like one of these. She's basically a hoe. She's like kind of a ratchet hoe. And she's the kind of person who's like constantly like getting in fights and like talking about like that's disrespectful, you know, all that all that fucking adolescent juvenile kind of noise. And so what happens is um, the lady from the other motel comes and confronts her and then they make the kids like clean off the car. But in the process, the kids from the Magic Castle make friends with a kid named Jancy. From Futureland, from Inn, Futureland which is yeah, like which is the... spaceship themed and painted yeah. blue. <laughs> right, right, exactly. It's supposed to be like Tomorrowland, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they make friends with her, and then she joins the gang. And then the rest of the movie is, I'd say about seventy five percent of the movie is through, almost through the eyes of one of these girls. Yeah. The camera is always very low to the ground. Very low. Following them around, mm-hmm. um, we see adult things happening from a perspective like far away. Yeah, it's you know something I, mean? I wish I wish that um, the filmmakers leaned further into, actually, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it is clear that it's very much a kid's world mm-hmm. and that we're being introduced to the world of a small child. And so mm-hmm. there's kid language and kid games and kid rules. And there's not... Um, it's a child's landscape and there's no real adult translation or subtitles. Like the kids are playing with each other and we're just watching. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not being translated into something filmic, if that makes sense. But I wish that they tightened the perspective just a little bit because Mm -hmm. it is in this childlike POV that I think is done really beautifully. Everything has this, magical magic kingdom disney tinge of like awe and wonder Mm -hmm. um as you do at that age but i wish it was more tied to mooney's point of view specifically Mm -hmm. and i wish that they pushed that even further like truly from her eyes i mean they played with a lot of shots that were shot low Mm -hmm. and you know cut people off at the waist or whatever Mm -hmm. because it's her perspective being Mm -hmm. small but i wish it was more um how a child sees this world mm-hmm. and sort of a response to that. Like, yeah. whoa. Oh, shit. Our neighbors are having a little celebration. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you. But the thing is, um, so that would require the, that would require a little bit more plot. Yeah. That would mean that there would have to be a story that was happening with Mooney specifically involving Mooney and yeah. like and I she find goes through a character arc. These characters incredibly undefined. <gasps> which um, is which is very real. Absolutely. It's very real. Like there's not like a solid concrete arc that any one of these characters go through except for kind of the mom has a story. Well, no, I'd say the mom and the friend both go through changes and wind up in different places than when they started the movie. Like emotionally um, so that, that gets us into where this movie is going, which is, uh, so the rest of the movie is basically different things that the kids do and also different things that happen with the manager of the hotel who's played by Willem Dafoe in a, a brilliant performance, I think. Yeah. And, um, a couple of things that happen between the friendship of Mooney's mother and the downstairs neighbor who's her best friend. Right. Ashley. Ashley. So Ashley Mooney's works... mother's name is Haley. Haley. Thank yeah. you. And I'm going to go ahead and just tell you um, right now, 
It stars Brooklyn Prince as Mooney. Mm -hmm. Bria Vinati. Vin She's Lithuanian, so I, I don't idea. I don't exactly know how to say that. Give you your best shot. Bria Vivnetti. There you go. Um, and Willem Dafoe. Yeah. Those are the three main characters. Mm -hmm. And this sort of brings me into the point that Willem Dafoe was the only professional actor yeah. on this film. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's it's very much in the style of what Sean Baker already does, which mm -hmm. is like real people casting, like scouting um, people mm -hmm. on Instagram, like on the streets, mm -hmm. um, and not necessarily auditioning. Mm -hmm. Although I do know that he did audition some actresses in Hollywood and in LA for the part of Haley that Bria plays. The mom. Um, mm -hmm. The mom. But uh, he he just found them all too actressy, frankly. Yeah. And so Definitely. he kept on bringing in this girl who he found, like I think, like twerking on Instagram, Dude. being yeah. like, "We need to find someone like this." And yeah. then they couldn't, and eventually they were like, "Can you just DM me? Let's just DM her. <laughs> Maybe she'll do it." Um, and she did, and I think they found Brooklyn in not on Instagram twerking, but um, <laughs> she's like. <laughs> five years old yeah she she was living in uh winter springs which is a suburb of orlando mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. the other kids were orlando based as well mm -hmm. um and i'm assuming a lot of the other smaller characters that we see you know the woman who's in the laundry room yeah uh we mentioned ashley her uh Haley's friend who works at the waffle house yeah and lives downstairs mm -hmm. yeah. um just you know the the milieu of the people. I assume that those are all um, like people Orlando. that aren't, yeah, professional mm -hmm. actors. Yeah. Um, now, generally, that pisses me off. I know. Because we're actors, to... and we're like, motherfucker, I went to college for this. I fucking have committed every single day of my life to doing this. And you're telling me that you just are throwing the entire possibility of anybody in this profession being good enough to satisfy your fucking demands. Um, you're just throwing that out the window and picking some idiot up off the street who has no idea like how to perform or like how to work with the camera. And that generally really grinds my gears. But in this case, I think it worked beautifully. I and I think too. that's because um, he's not making generally like real people talent have a hard time like constructing a story in let's say a typical sense and like you know maybe stretching or going to places that are vulnerable or uncomfortable or you know different than no normal. he's just casting people to play something very close to themselves and yes, that's all they exactly. need to do exactly and the movie itself is much more of a like exploration of setting and tone and character than it is uh, a story that needs to like hit certain beats and, like, no it, it doesn't hit any be beats clear. no yeah. it doesn't yeah it there again there's like three things that happen in this whole movie and the movie's two hours long yeah but that doesn't make it boring no it's it's a it's an easy watch actually mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um it's visually beautiful obviously a24 produced it so it's got yeah. that a24 grimy sparkle it's yeah. got this yeah. like beautiful saturated dumpster vibe. Yeah, yeah yeah it's deep um it's quotidian and deep at the same time it's profound and also sort of um quirky and eclectic and low budget and all the ways that you and i just love that type of movie 
Yeah. Like, that's just and, what we like. You know, this this casting is very a la um, the Safties. Yeah, yeah. And Andrea Arnold. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I do have to say that when I compare this movie to something like American Honey or Wasp or mm-hmm. um, Heaven Knows What by the yeah, Safties, yeah. I, it looks about- too polished to me. That's that's what I sort of came away with if I'm comparing it to similar filmmakers who have meditated on similar themes, like the behind the scenes seems poverty. Too yeah, like I almost wish it was shot with an iPhone. Oh, interesting. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. he did Tangerine, and that was, I mean, he had been making films. Mm-hmm. Sean Baker had been making films for many years, but yeah, Tangerine, Tangerine really iPhone, right? it got into Sundance. It was mm-hmm. huge, put him on the map for sure. Um, and yeah, it was shot on an iPhone. Yeah. And this was shot on really expensive equipment. Um, I and disagree. I think it, it took something away from See, it. See, here's... I totally disagree. I think if this movie was shot on an iPhone, I wouldn't have cared. I would have been too wrapped up in it being about these people who I... Uh, honestly, f- honestly, these characters, I find them a little abrasive at times. Mm. And it, it's hard for me to relate to specifically the mom. Um, it's it's hard for me to be on her side. It's hard for me to be on her and side. And if it too. was more shaky cam and more like in their like eyes, the way that you're saying, like I think I would have had much bigger problem with it. What I loved about the expensive cameras and the like beautiful detailed work they did with like SFX and color and um, like camera movement mm-hmm. and um, just making crisp. it look very beautiful. Mm-hmm. It was about the setting and it honored the setting and made it mystical and magical in a way that I wouldn't have, it wouldn't have flown for me if it was on an iPhone because mm. it would have been too much about the people and the the magic of the setting would have been lost, I think. I agree with you there, actually. I yeah. think that a big, expansive lens needs... To capture the type of setting that we're dealing with here on yeah. iDrive in Orlando. Yes. This insane thoroughfare with uh-huh. helicopters going around overhead, uh, truckers speeding, yeah. these strip malls with these bright colors and these like tacky knockoff Disney gift boutiques yeah. and these like little roadside attractions that are basically Tourist shut traps. down. Tourist mm-hmm. traps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I agree. And it captures the color of that world so beautifully mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. a childlike way. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. it is this, uh, it, you know, it has this childlike wonder and it's about sort of how they see poverty and mm-hmm. their unconventional childhood mm-hmm. before maturing into the understanding of like the dangers and the sacrifice right. that their parental exactly. figures are making and things like that. I think but shape- I just, I just think that in some instances I felt like it wanted to be a documentary Definitely. But it didn't complete that for me. I don't identify with any of the characters. I didn't really care about the character. I I care Mm -hmm. a little bit about Willem Dafoe's character. Yeah. Um, But, and that's not to say the performances were bad. The performances were great. No, they were all great. It was great casting. I think it was pitch perfect. I Mm -hmm. mean, I think that Bria was uncomfortable on camera in a way that an actress wouldn't have been. Yeah. But in that uncomfortability there was this unselfconsciousness too i know yeah. i just said two opposite things but no 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 uh, she was 
very in her skin in yeah. a way that I don't know if actresses, it's not easy no, for no, us to be not. just comfortable in our own skin. No. Um, cause we're rejected so much, yeah, exactly. but she was just who she was unapologetically in her own skin. Yeah. And also a little uncomfortable on camera. Yeah. And, and she was doing things with like her voice and her posture that like an actress just would have never even thought to do. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Somebody who didn't, just didn't grow up in her set of circumstances and wasn't like a um like a weed bikini entrepreneur yeah. on Instagram the way that she was mm-hmm. you know i mean that's just they would have had to have put somebody. on a character and i think he was trying to s- and they wouldn't snuff have known so intimately how to do that yeah, yeah. okay so so Yes, this is awesome. I want to get back into this in a minute. But so let's talk about like what's happening. So we've got we've got these kids that are running around. We've got their shitty mom who lives in the motel. Who's like making ends meet by selling stolen perfume mm-hmm. at a oh, resort. Uh, not stolen perfume, just... Like wholesale, uh, wholesale perfume, perfume yeah. at a mar- much marked up price. Yeah, so and- she's selling to tourists like fake luxury brands... Um, for a huge markup, and that's how she's affording rent. Yeah, plus stolen Disney magic bands. Yes, and we'll, we'll get into that later too. But at the outside of the movie, she has an understanding with her best friend. Would you say the character's name? Ashley. Was? Ashley, who lives below her. Ashley works at a diner, and this mom, again, arrested development, like perpetual adolescent, doesn't cook, like has no capacity no kitchen she doesn't no even do her own laundry she forces someone else in her motel to do her laundry for her. her yeah exactly so she like has no ability to cook or no way of feeding her kids so she has an arrangement with ashley that the kids run over run across the highway over to the diner where ashley works and ashley like gives them a bag of free food every day and that's basically how they how they eat yeah and um the kids when they're not doing that they're running around and just pulling various like nefarious pranks, you know. Like they they did the thing of like spitting on the car. These are wild children. Oh like, yeah, almost feral. Like they yeah. have zero zero guidance, zero like parental eye following them around. They run all across town. And I and, think like, kids could stand to have a little bit more of that. Like I think like I don't know in Brooklyn, kids are just so babysat oh, all less the time. Supervision, you mean? A little yeah. more. Getting to run around wild yeah, is what New I York was trying to say. Have, yeah, it's just like they're Way just so monitored and so controlled and like so scheduled. Yeah. And there is this like this really there's a sweetness yeah. to the fact that they just run around all day and no yeah. one knows where they are and it's kind of a, just a big adventure. We can and split th- the difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think they grow <laughs> independent and and mm-hmm. strong in large part because mm-hmm. of the situations that they face by themselves yeah. or with other children. True. But I yeah I agree. It they are crossing highways i mean yeah they're running around with zero supervision on on busy like highways and they're also like doing things like when guests pull up unsuspecting guests who aren't like longtime residents pull up um they like wheel their suitcases around and then demand tips from the people and they they make (laughs) extra money that way so they like yell at adults to tip them they run around there they have no volume control by the way they're constantly like screaming and like do, you know, breaking stuff and like jumping around indoors and like nobody's telling them not to do that. Speaking of yelling, the oh, sound. Oh, also, sorry. 
Um, also, they have this thing where they go to an ice cream stand. They run over to an ice cream stand and they beg tourists for money so that they can like get ice cream. Anyway, that's their that's their like day to day life in the summer. What were you gonna say, honey? Um, I was gonna say that I think the sound mixing in this movie is brilliant. brilliant. It's, it's brilliant. so good. The, it just we're creating again honoring the backdrop and the celebrating the Orlando very specifically. Yeah. It brought me back. I mean, the mm-hmm. sounds are so specific and they're ever present. And yeah. mostly it's bugs. Um, yeah, yeah. Just various types of buzzing Worrying, insects. Like cicadas and crickets and yeah, yeah. chirping. The traffic. Yeah, and the traffic. Not like loud traffic, like like that kind of, you know, cliche movie just noise. Whooshing, just like Cars just like, whooshing past. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the helicopters is like an interesting. Like yeah, for okay, tourists, so they, they do these little helicopter tours like around Orlando. Yeah. And, and um, they're constantly like the kids are constantly hanging out at this picnic table. And like the thing that they do with their mom, like mom, come, Haley comes out and like the the helicopter will take off and they'll all like flip the helicopter off like, fuck yeah, like that kind of shit. Mm hmm. Um, which got me wondering, I like leaned over to Kelsey Ann during the middle of the movie and was like, helicopter tours of what? It's Orlando. There's nothing there. There's yeah. Disney World and what? But I know you're not allowed to fly over Disney World. No. So what the no fuck? no fly zone, baby. Yeah. No, it's just like going up in a helicopter. It's not what you're seeing like no. with other helicopter tours. It's just going the up in The experience of one. being in it. Yeah, that's it. They also You're not even these... like on the coast. Like there's no, no beaches. There's no. nothing. Yeah. There's also these insane bungee jumping. Yeah. Like, oh my God. I had friends who did this when, when I was living in Orlando and fucking count me out. Bungee jumping from what? There's a huge like... pole in the middle of downtown Orlando. Oh my God. What the I fuck? know. It's so fucking creepy. That's terrible. Yeah. The, and that's not like a theme park attraction? That's no. Just like a, it's just a like thing? some guy set it up. Oh my God. And it's... Oof, so Florida scary. needs more regulation. I oh, gotta yeah. say that. Yeah. <laughs> Something else with the sound mixing is the perpetual TV sounds. Oh yeah. Anytime we're indoors, anytime we're in one of these motel rooms, the TV is on and there's just meaningless noise in the background. Mm-hmm. And it's that... Like when you're outside and you hear the insects and the, the cars... It felt very hot and like warm and like supportive and it was a very interesting like environment to be in. But when you're indoors and it's just like the fucking TV in the background mm-hmm. and like they're having a conversation like like Haley and Haley's cadence is so annoying. But she's like she's like, what did you do? Like, what were you out there doing? Like that kind of stuff. Yeah. And the kid's like, I don't know. And in the background, there's just like. It's very dark and sad and weird and like alienating in this beautifully done way. I think it's because the outside space, to me anyway, is very much the child's space. Yeah, it's very And the indoor space too. is very much the adult's world. Yes, agreed. Yeah. yeah. I agree. And they all, like the longtime residents, all like put curtains up. Like there's always curtains up mm-hmm. in front of the window. And that might be a movie making thing, but it also might be a like practical thing in Florida. You keep the sun out. Yeah. yeah. And also, I think it's It's telling the story that these people live there. Yeah. So, like, if that's your house, like, you don't want just, like, any Joe fucking blow walking by to be able to just see inside your house. No. It's kind of one thing if you're you're out at the parks all day, you're not, like, at home, you know, and it's not your home. It's a hotel. But when it is your home. Mm -hmm. And that brings me to something, too. The, this is such a realistic detail. Yeah. The towels that are draped over the 
railings. Mm-hmm. I don't know. At a motel driving around Orlando. Yeah. That's what you see. And it's so, it's just so funny. It's always there. Any towel. It, from bath towels to yep. beach towels. Yep. Just hanging over the railing to dry. Yeah. Well, because nothing dries in Florida. I actually yeah. remember going to Arizona for the first time. <laughs> Yeah. My mom took me and um, I went swimming one day and then I put my swimsuit as I do on the shower head, mm-hmm. just hanging mm-hmm. and it was dry, dry as a bone <laughs> the next day. Yeah. And, and I was weren't... like, what? <laughs> my mom was like, yeah, that's what happened. We're in the desert. You weren't expecting that? No, nothing dries. I think oh, that's why so you have funny. to put your wet towels over the railing. Ugh, I love that. That's like my balls. Between March and September, just always, uh, it's terrible. Um, but so, okay, so like the kids are running around doing shit and then uh, Willem Dafoe is also like doing everything he can. He has to manage everything. So he's managing the the motel and the goings on and like the, you know, the broken laundry machine and the, you know, he's f- f- painting the sign and stuff. But he also has to manage the behavior of the tenants. So like, you know, if somebody's, Let's say there's this one scene where this like old, like retired stripper who has like huge fake tits and she just looks so worse for wear. She looks terrible, but she's out there and she's like, she was a stripper in like the eighties or whatever. And she's got long, like bright red, like obviously dyed hair and like cowboy boots and just her titties are out by the pool. He has to go out there and go like, you can't have your titties out by the pool. Like that kind (laughs) of stuff. That's his job. And his role is like, keeping this ecosystem together at all by any means necessary. And he also like, you know, he has his son come up. Like his son is a very minor character. He was that redheaded guy from three billboards outside. Yeah. He's also Evans, an Missouri or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he has his son come up and like help him like, you know, bag up mattresses with bed bugs and stuff. And uh, his son doesn't get it at all. Like, his son has no idea why he's devoted so much time and effort and energy into, like, this shitty little motel. And I think it's not about the money. I think that Willem Dafoe's character just, like, takes so much pride in running this ecosystem and, like, helping these people and, like, being a, a source of, like, like stability and responsibility in this ecosystem. And, like, that's sort of his character traits and that's what you you see in him throughout the movie he takes responsibility for the magic castle yeah yeah he does not only does he take responsibility for the magic castle at large he really takes responsibility for Haley. um Mm -hmm. he seems to really feel for her and really want to keep an extra eye out on her yeah um he you know sort of lets her be laid on rent sometimes until it's too much or but he really wants to be her father figure, I yeah. think. And yeah. she rejects that in every way possible. Yeah, of course, of course. Of course. Um, which is a beautiful dynamic. Mm-hmm. I wish that I had gotten to see a little bit more of that. And I realized, I clarified something in my brain while you were talking, which was that the difference between perspective and point of view, I think I wanted a little bit more point of view. Yeah, While we absolutely. were very much in the child's perspective, mm-hmm. it's a very broad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and largely visual and not like someone's very intimate point of view. Like, who are these people to me? How do I view them? What's the hierarchy? Even Mm -hmm. with uh, Mooney's gang of kids, it's like, you know, 
what are their dynamics? Yeah, Who's yeah. the leader? You know, what do they mean to each other? And, and something them, else throughout the movie, they come and go. You like, see them interacting very naturalistically with one another. But which you is don't, beautiful. It and it's really cool to watch. And I think that that, if, if I was to interpret the... Um, to interpret the goals of the filmmaker i would say that that would be it like lots of like artsy indie filmmakers like say that they want to do this and do and it's they want to be a fly on the wall Mm -hmm. or they want to like show things as they really are and the problem that i find with doing that is that you get lost in as you said perspective and you don't develop point of view which means that as a as an that is very fulfilling for an artist but as someone who's consuming art, mm-hmm. a viewer, an audience member, um, it's not satisfying. It can be frustrating a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. What? Because humans desire story. Like yeah. we desire, and that's that's how you build point of view is through plot. You yeah. make it would need to be in the writing stage yeah. that this would be done. He built these characters beautifully, but mm-hmm. they only went through a like a certain small number of things. And so the plot was very loose and very small and didn't have much to do with the film at large. Mm-hmm. But so what happens in the plot, so we've set up basically the, the scene. Um, the thing that happens is like these, these you get these, what do you call them, pastiches, like mm-hmm. these scenes that come and go. And like one of them is funny, like there's a couple of rich Brazilians that show up and... Um, they're he, on their honeymoon. They're on their honeymoon. And the guy thought that he booked a hotel in the Magic Kingdom, and he accidentally booked it at the Magic Castle. And then they show up, and his Brazilian wife, who doesn't speak English, is horrified. Throws a fit and starts yeah. crying, and is like, "It's my honeymoon! Like you can't bring me here! I can't be here!" And like, you know, all the kids are all running around, going, "Like, can I get a tip? Can I get a tip?" She's and, like, "This is a welfare slum. Yeah, get exactly. us out of here." She says, it, "She calls it a welfare slum." Um, and so he uh, he like goes like, "Please, please, like." You've got to like let me cancel this reservation. Like, is there anywhere else to stay? And it's the Fourth of July weekend, so of course there's nothing. Books. They're stuck uh. there. Um, but there's like little pastiches like that, and then you see them going to the ice cream shop. You see them hanging around at this place called Orange World, which is apparently a real. Oh yeah, I've been there. Orlando tourist trap, mm-hmm. which does what? Else? Everything oranges. Just you can buy a million oranges there. Well, you could buy oranges. You uh-huh. can buy orange. Candy. You can yeah. buy orange soft serve. Really, right. really good. Um, Ooh, orange uh, soap. Orange disinfectant spray. Orange, orange car. Orange universe. It's what's it called? Uh, air freshener. Air fresheners. Yeah. <laughs> um. So that yeah. It's that's, a world of oranges. It's a recurring place. And it's in shaped this movie. like an orange. Yes, it is. It's a big giant dome <laughs> that's colored orange and it has like a little stem sticking out the top. It's a, I mean, it's a tourist trap, but it's like a, it's almost a character in this movie. How many times it like comes back, keeps coming back. Um, so you see stuff like that, but then something happens. The gang of kids go, they run across the highway and through the woods and they find this sort of abandoned either resort community or retirement community or like timeshare, whatever it is. It's a bunch of like bungalows that were obviously part of a housing development. All painted like different pastel colors as one does in Florida. Yeah. And as you would find in like a resort or something like that. But it very obviously like got condemned and foreclosed during like 2008 or whatever and had been just sitting there rotting for, you know, however many years. And so the kids like, again, no supervision, they just start rampaging through the, um, 
rampaging through the houses and exploring and like it's very like kind of cute and like endearing and wholesome for a while because they're you know like they're pretending they're monsters and ghosts and like they have a whole imaginative landscape in the houses but then they start like being wild childs wild children they um they start like pushing toilets up windows and exploding them and like throwing hammers at mirrors and exploding those and like breaking stuff which is fun that seems really cool and fun to do but then they push it a little too far um they start setting the like the places on fire and so they they set like the insulation on fire in this one house or maybe insulation's fireproof i don't know whatever it is it's flammable and it's they so set funny it on i thought fire. it was a pillow that was left there ah uh, maybe it was a pillow but either way so they set it on fire and then they go oh shit and they run away back to the back to the motel and then the whole thing catches a blaze and it causes this huge house fire and then all of a sudden all the people who live at the magic castle like start looking you know, out across the balcony and seeing a couple hundred yards away, there's this huge smoke cloud. And, um, and so they, it becomes like a spectacle for the people in the motel. They all go over to the Watch it the burn, fire. baby. Yeah, they all go over to the fire like it's a show. And um, fucking Haley's like taking, you know, Instagram photos of her daughter in front of the fire. It's like a big thing. But Ashley... Um, talks to her son, Scooty, who's part of the gang who burned down the houses, and goes like, hey, do you want to come see the fire? And Scooty, you know, like very ashamedly shakes his head. Um, and she goes... She knows something's up. She goes, what did you do, basically? And he goes, I didn't do nothing. And she shuts the door and locks it and goes like, you need to be honest with me right now. What the fuck happened? Do you know what the fuck will happen to us if you did this? And so... Cut into the next scene, but all of a sudden, Scooty's not allowed to hang out with the gang anymore, and Ashley quits talking to Haley. Mm -hmm. No more free food, cold shoulder, no more friendship, nothing. And that's where the plot starts. And this is, again, this is like 35, 40 minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's like 40 minutes in, yeah. Um, so what happens then is Haley and Ashley start fighting with one another, and Haley... Um, Haley like causes a scene in the diner and like you know it gets into this very messy sort of back and forth and then Haley goes to the the resort trying to make money again and then finally the security guards um, you know selling perfume finally the security guards get on to get catch on to her game yeah and like rip the perfume out of her hands and so she loses all the product she has to run away and so now all of a sudden she's fucking broke her, she has no friend, um, and she's got to figure out a way to make money. Um, and so she does what a hoe would do and begins to hoe. That's true. And um, so what happens is she starts, like, you know, soliciting guys on Backpage. And, you know, they're generally, you know, dudes who are on vacation with their families. And what she'll do is she'll, you know, she'll fuck a guy in the, um, she'll fuck a guy in the bedroom while... Mooney is in the bathroom taking, taking a, a bath. bath, listening to very loud like trap music. It's like the worst music in the world. Well, Mooney's not listening to it. Haley's playing Haley's it to cover playing it on the to noise, cover the yeah. sex sounds. Yeah, exactly. Which is very dark and very sad, um, but also shot through Mooney's point of view. Mm -hmm. So you don't really you don't really see it. it. You, you don't know, really you know don't what's going on. It. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you finally figure out what's going on, and then what happens is. 
Ashley tips off the manager that guys have been coming into Haley's room. And so obviously Willem Dafoe can't have that happening at his motel. So he comes up and starts like, you know, searching through the room and going like, what the fuck's going on here? And like saying from now on, all guests must check in at the front entrance. So now they're really fucked and there's no income. And um, Haley finds out that Ashley told Willem Dafoe about this. She goes down, beats the crap out of Ashley in front of her son. And like... It's so diabolical. Yes, yeah, so diabolical. And Again, like, the sound in that scene. Oh, the sound of her slapping bashing meat. her face oh, in. It's terrible, dude. Oof. Terrible. Yeah. And Scooty's right there, too. It's fucking... Yeah, it's, it's, it's so wretched. Demonic. Yeah, demonic. That action... All of that plot action that I just told you takes about an hour. And then you're basically at the end of the movie. Um, and what happens is... Like at the tail end, like yeah. with eight minutes left to go. Right. What happens is um, CDF, which is or DCF, which is the Department of Children and Families, so kind of like CPS, gets called and they start investigating and like looking for drugs and... Um, like Willem Dafoe comes in at one point and like has to rearrange the room that Haley's in because he can't let her establish residency. Otherwise she gets squatters rights because she hasn't been paying rent. And so it's a whole big thing. And then basically the last scene in the movie is she takes, Haley takes Mooney to a resort. They just walk into a resort and get a free. This is a really sweet scene actually. This is is one of the only scenes in the movie where I felt like, I could see her love as a mother. Yes. And just wanting to give her kid one last thing because she knew that Child Protective Services was coming. Yeah. Yeah. So So, they walk into this like slightly nicer hotel, mm -hmm. a hotel, Mm -hmm. and a resort. You think? Yeah. It wasn't like. It was called like the Calypso at whatever. Mm. whatever. I mean, it wasn't a Disney resort. Yeah. It was like. You know, there are people driving around on golf carts. There's and... a breakfast buffet. Yeah, there's a breakfast it's, buffet. It's a continental it's a nice breakfast yeah. type of thing. Yeah. Um, and so they just walk in like they're like they're staying there. Yeah. And she gives the hostess like a fake room number. And mm-hmm. Mooney just gets to eat whatever she wants at the yeah. all-you-can-eat buffet. By the way, the only thing that Mooney eats throughout this entire movie is like candy and waffles and ice cream. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is like... I don't know. I just wanted to make a note of that. Terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> terrifying. Uh, uh, but she does smush a couple of fresh fruits into her mouth at the same time at the end of the movie. In that scene at the, the hotel with the, the breakfast bar, she's like, I'm going to eat a strawberry and a raspberry at the same time. And it's very, like a very, like you said, a very sweet moment. And so then they walk back to their motel and DCF is there and they're going to take Mooney away. And so Haley... At least while the case is pending yeah. about whether she's fit as a mother to take yeah. care of Mooney long term. They're going to put her with a foster family. And so Mooney goes to say goodbye to Scooty. Um, and Scooty accidentally lets slip that they're going to take her away and give her to a different family. And so Mooney like starts freaking out. And then they say, like the DCF agents go upstairs and go like, hey, we need you to like calm your like daughter down. And then that, of course, because Haley's like an adolescent herself, basically, she starts like going like, I'm not going to help you. Like, and like screaming and screaming her lungs out and fucking biting the heads off of all these DCF agents. And it's utter chaos. 
And in the chaos, Mooney gets free and runs away. She runs down the street to um, Futureland mm-hmm. and grabs JC, Jancy. And together, they run down the highway and go, w- like, somehow sneak through the entry system into Disney World and run into the fantasy of youth away from the realities of Just two life. little girls holding hands. And it's all shot from following, and, tracking them from behind and just watching them run into the theme park. And that is the end of the movie. Actually, that second to last scene really struck me when Mooney shows up at Jancy's door at Futureland to say, like, you're my best friend. And mm-hmm. I I was just informed, she doesn't say informed, that I um, <laughs> may never be able to see you again because I have to go with a different family. And it's one of the only shots in the film that lingers on someone's face. And that uh, really yeah. struck me because um, it was really breaking from the mold that they set up where it's like, a whole scene where it's focused on Willem Dafoe's neck, like the yeah, back of his right, neck, right. and he's all the way to the left of the frame, you uh-huh. know? Or yeah. it's focused on someone's knees as they're walking through the parking lot or whatever. Yeah. So, and it was just focused and steady on Mooney's face as she breaks into tears. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, we see them basically ride off into the sunset. Yeah. Which, you know, has... The ending has sparked a lot of conversation yeah. because um, it's not possible to run into Disney World. I mean, Mm -hmm. you have to have a ticket. You have to like, there's so much like um, there's x-rays and lines and all these things. So it really is a fantasy and the best kind of fantasy. It's this girlish like ability to outrun things that, you don't like and don't understand, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, in a way that becomes little less possible in adulthood. Yeah. And I just think it's a, it's a really beautiful ending. I think it's pretty much metaphorical. I think it's fantasy, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's beautiful. It is. I agree. I think that it is probably meant to be a metaphor um, because you, and it's, it's a metaphor that deals with the themes that we talk about. Every time we talk about Disney or we talk about like the fantasy of Florida, how Florida is sold to tourists and sold to the world, and the, the distinct gap between that idea and the real, real reality of Florida, which is that it's got strangeness and weird, dark undersides and like also mundane aspects and like, you know, everyday America aspects. And it's far more than just a beautiful dream of like a beach or like the beautiful dream of Disney. And so I I think that at the end of the day is what this movie is trying to explore. It's right down the street from Disney World, but you only go there in the imagination. That kid is poor and Mm -hmm. lives in poverty and she's not allowed to go into disney world she's not allowed to partake in the fantasy that other richer kids are able to have or you know have toys or video games or you know have like extracurriculars she's basically like she gets to run around her own little world freely but her own little world is very small um and i think it's beautiful that the only time she gets to go to disney world is in her dream at the end of the movie yeah, in her when, imagination. Yeah. Even though it's right there. It's a mile, It's less than a mile away. Yeah, you could literally do... She could walk there. She could walk there. Yeah. She could run really fast with her friend 
underneath the security thing like she does in the movie and get in there. She could. She probably wouldn't be able to because there'd be people going like, hey, where's your mommy? But it, I, I, I don't know. There's something so poignant about that. Like there's a, there's a fantasy of Florida that's sold to people who don't live there and aren't from there or, you know, who have, who have certain ways and means. But um, the reality of Florida is much more, much more vibrant and um, you could say beautiful, but also mm-hmm. dangerous mm-hmm. and uh, scary and kind of tragic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that it's tragic, especially in the juxtaposition of the two worlds, mm-hmm. um, because there's this other side of Florida that is for tourists. Mm-hmm. It's more tragic because it's butted up against mm-hmm. this thing that they live there. They mm-hmm. live in the place where people go on vacation. Mm-hmm. They can't really have any of that stuff. Yes, exactly. It's interesting, too, how tourists are set up in this film as like they're not enemies. They're not antagonists. They're almost like uh, prey animals. Mm, Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? They're almost like buffalo. They're like bumbling in yeah, this film. Well, they, I mean, yeah. I think they are in real life too. Yeah, because like, you don't know the place. You're in an unfamiliar place. Yeah, exactly. But they're, they're just marks for mm-hmm. the people who live in these motels to sort of scam and like take their money. But it's not as in like, yeah, they deserve it. Or like the, the film definitely doesn't say that. Or that like scamming the tourists is good or that the tourists are evil. It just sort of shows them as these like these bison wandering through the, the landscape and the the people who live in the motels like shoot them. They don't shoot them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. they're, they're, they scam them out of their money or their like Disney passes so that they can survive because they need to, they need to eat. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And I think that... Um... It's it's really interesting because unlike like a project building or a pay by the night motel in a different mm-hmm. area like mm-hmm. in New Jersey or in Pennsylvania or whatever, yeah. um, it is it is among this other world that's inaccessible to them mm-hmm. in small ways too, like the Seven Dwarfs Lane that she walks down a lot. That oh, Haley, yeah, yeah. Haley walks to and from these other resorts with her bags of perfume yeah. on Seven Dwarfs Lane. It yeah. comes up quite a bit in the movie. And it's just like you're surrounded by fake castles, yeah, by fantasy. Seven Dwarf Lane, by yeah. like this wizard's gift shop that's like yeah. shaped like a, a man. Yeah, yeah. And all these like little uh, there's the ice cream store is like shaped beautiful. like an ice cream. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's another part of this movie that I think is so interesting. It's like Orlando is this land of juxtapositions, right? You're watching this movie about like tragic things happening to a very poor kid, um, but it's like takes place in this beautiful landscape, and there's these gorgeous sunsets. Like you see Willem Dafoe out smoking and looking at the beautiful sunsets, and like there's the scene where um, on her birthday. Haley drives um, Jancy and Mooney out to this like specific like field. Well, she doesn't drive. She hitchhikes out to this specific field where you get a good view of the Disney fireworks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the motel, it's this setting of poverty and like struggle. But it's it's this big purple, purple building. Purple castle. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. painted like a fucking castle. Yeah. And like people are constantly in swimsuits and flip flops and like. You oh, know. that was something else I was gonna mention. In Florida, pools aren't a status symbol the way no. that they are in other states. No. Um, they're almost a necessity. <laughs> they're almost a necessity. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I was friends with a lot of kids from a lot of different backgrounds. Myself included at certain points in my life when we lived in like a 
duplex that we shared with like another family and like mm-hmm. even we had a pool that was walking distance to you know where i lived and then there were other times in my life where we had a pool in our backyard yeah. um and i just i can't think of one kid that i played with no matter what their background that didn't have a pool yeah even mm-hmm. if it was just the pool at the apartment complex that they lived in mm-hmm. so these kids have access to this pool that is sort of like a dream to yeah. Uh, another kid, maybe even a middle class kid in a different state in North yeah. Dakota or wherever. Or wherever where I grew up, like Kansas. Yeah, mm-hmm. only the the wealthy have rich pools. people have pools in their backyard. Yeah. yeah, and it's a status symbol. I have mm-hmm. a pool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in Florida, it's more of a necessity. I think that's interesting. Yeah, it is. It's very interesting. Very interesting. It's a. It's this whole movie is a meditation on this very particular unique place in the very particular unique people who live there mm-hmm. and just how they make their lives and how you know how the shit goes down i think something else that's interesting about this movie is that ostensibly well i guess the the kid mooney is the main character i was gonna mm-hmm. say ostensibly the main character is pretty unlikable but i was talking about Haley. yeah um and i think you know it's just interesting i we're writers as well and Mm -hmm. we write for the screen Mm -hmm. and um i've had a lot of pushback and a lot of backlash on things that i've written where people don't think that the protagonist that happens to be a female is likable oh yeah they think she's very unlikable yeah and they think it make makes or breaks the whole project yeah and this character of Haley is in my opinion very unlikable she's terrible there are few times where i even see like a sort of um she has a cachet of like a vivacity like she she has this like scrappy she's carefree and scrappy and just like like, doesn't give a fuck and that's almost attractive a little bit a little bit but also not i mean her and her kid only eat candy like yeah it's not good they wipe their hands on their bed sheets like she barely can cobble her life together but you know i don't mind that she's unlikable it doesn't bother me at all no um i think that typically when you're when you're making a story what you want is to sort of have your protagonist learn a lesson and go through changes and like understand you know open their minds and understand something new about the world by the end of the movie um, and typically if it's comedy, then they figure it all out and they figure out their problem in time. And if it's tragedy, they don't figure out the problems in time and everything goes to shit. And you could call this movie a tragedy because Haley does not figure anything out. Mm-mm. She doesn't change. But I don't think that that was the point of the movie. I don't either. I think it's a meditation. You know? It's just, yeah, it's like it lets these characters have ha- things happen to them without changing. Mm-hmm. Which is typically not done in story. Yeah, it's it's more like life. More pe- like most people don't go through that big catharsis, that big change, yeah. just because of a, a life altering event. Life altering events happen to these characters, and nothing ha- like nothing changes. That is true, but I think that people are constantly going through stories in their own mind, in their own emotional landscape. I think. That has to do with exactly what you said earlier, the difference between perspective and point of view. Our perspective was as an observer, as a watcher, and we didn't have much inner connection, Mm -mm. much point of view with any of these characters, which means that we could only see them as an observer, which I think was probably the, the 
the purpose of the film. Yeah. I think that the filmmaker really wanted to, Sean Baker wanted to sit back and watch this stuff happen without like taking sides on it. Yeah. But the thing is, um, that changes what you're watching from a typical movie into this sort of filmic meditation that we're watching. Yeah. And I don't think that devalues it, but it definitely could be frustrating to an audience member who is going there searching for meaning of some kind, which is, you know, why we go see stories. But you could, like, this is a little bit more challenging, but you can mine just as much meaning from it as, like, a typical plotted out, story-driven movie. I thought Willem Dafoe was brilliant. Um, I thought all the acting was great. Obviously, the filmmaking was very, um, very high level, but, you know, it's low budget, but, like, it didn't feel that way. Here's something else I'll say about Haley's performance. Since she not an actress or doesn't come from that background and didn't have any training. Mm-hmm. She doesn't construct any moments. No. What you're watching is, I think functionally, a person, Bria, trying to get through the scene. Yes. Just trying to yeah. get from point A to point B mm-hmm. and make it through. Yeah. And that's how people are in their lives. We're not going around thinking of our lives as like these little moments that we craft. Like the guys that we were making fun of at the beginning of this episode are. <laughs> yeah. But not yeah. yeah. Not and most so people. there's a there's an authenticity to that. Yes. Um I think I know where it's coming from, or at least I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. It's taking a swing. Mm-hmm. But it works for the character and it works for the tone of the film. Yeah, I agree. Which is just a girl who's trying to get through the moments of her life. Yeah. Just get fucking through them. And that's that's I think what we keep saying about this movie. It's relentlessly authentic. It's it's, it's maybe authentic more than it is anything else. I think so, yeah. And that can sometimes be that can sometimes be an incredible like boon to a movie, but I think in this case it was sort of a, an obstacle or a hindrance. So, okay, we've talked about this movie, we've deconstructed it, we've talked about the filmmaking and the themes and the plot, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I want to know, first of all, what was your favorite scene in the movie and, or scene that really stuck with you? And out of 10, what would you rate it? And then I'll do the same. I think um, one of my favorite scenes is when Haley takes Mooney to what I'm going to call the Waffle House. Obviously, they didn't get permission to like yeah. show that it was a Waffle House, but I know the inside of a Waffle House, Definitely. and it was a Waffle House. Waffle House architecture. Um, where Ashley works to confront her about why she won't give them free food anymore and why Scooty's not allowed to hang out with her kid. I like it because... There are these two women that are the same age. They're probably 22, 23. And they're both navigating their circumstances, being single mothers Mm -hmm. of kids around the same age, Mm -hmm. um, in very different ways. And you see it play out. You know, Ashley is, she goes to work every day and it's probably really fucking shitty And Mm -hmm. she's in a bad mood because of it most of the time because it's not an easy job and it's not an easy life. But she's holding down the job. And the pay is shit, but she's holding it down. Unlike most of the other people in her community. Exactly. Yeah. And so you see that sort of... um, Not a judgment. Pride and also bitterness Mm -hmm. flung onto Haley who 
really pieces it together. Like mm-hmm. when she has to do a night or two of sex work, that's what will happen. Mm-hmm. When she can make it by robbing someone and selling their Disney passes to someone else, mm-hmm. she will. Like, mm-hmm. you know, she really, she does not hold down a job, nor does she try. No. And it's just these two women in similar circumstances. One chooses one path and one yeah. chooses the other. And they're both happy and unhappy in, in different ways. Yeah. I'd say that Ashley took maybe the more typically responsible path and the like the she Haley's whole thing is very chaotic and it's very about like fuck the system like I don't do what anybody tells me like I keep saying juvenile adolescent um but very real and she's like I don't give a fuck about what other people think of me I'm gonna do my thing like you can't tell me what to do like you can't disrespect me like all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and Ashley on the other hand sort of in a very much more mature and adult way goes like, okay, I'm in a shit situation, which means that I kind of have to eat shit in order to get out of it. Yeah. I I can like, she has taken the, the responsibility of just eating shit for a little bit to make things better. And you can kind of see her grow into, they sort of start the movie in basically the same Mm -hmm. kind of emotional place. You see them, follow different paths and Ashley's winds up with her, you know, she has a black eye because she's, you know, double crossed Haley. Um, but she still has her kid and she still has her job and she's like, still has her room destined for, yeah, still has a room and she's destined for at least some security, if not bigger and better things. Yeah. At the end of the movie. Meanwhile, Haley's life is sort of burnt probably to the going to jail for prostitution and probably losing her kid. Yeah. And, so also one of my favorite scenes is uh something we didn't touch on which is the pedophile scene oh the pedophile scene is great that's what i was going to say is my favorite scene um well there's two one is this very beautiful like sort of andre tarkovsky almost kind of scene where it's just like um it's just the setting and it's just the kids are out and you know they're just playing with sticks or whatever but they're in this just field and there's these cows in the background and there's, it's just, it's a very brief moment. Poetic. It's maybe like 30 seconds, but it's just like, this movie being like juxtaposition after juxtaposition, that one was very beautiful to me. And it was very like rustling leaves and insects. Dreamy. And very dreamy nature. Like I said, Tarkovsky. Um, this movie being so reliant on setting also reminded me of a couple other movies that I've seen recently that I thought were very beautiful in the same way. Uh, one was called Princess Sid, which was directed by our friend Stephen Cohn. And the other one being Call Me By Your Name, mm, which, mm-hmm. you know... the Heavily reliant on setting. Yeah, I thought the movie itself was pretty good. The, you know, the love story. Army Hammer, now that we know what we know about Army <laughs> Hammer, a little weird, but um, yeah, the love definitely. story was... The love story was pretty solid, but it really, like... It really came alive when you could just hear the the leaves rustling. Or yeah, like and the see... citrus growing on the trees mm-hmm. and yeah. the, like right. Um, this movie fruit. very much like that. And so the the scene with the cows it was just a brief glimpse, a brief fleeting second. But I loved it. I loved it, and that really sticks out to me when I think about this movie. But there's also the pedophile scene, which I think is amazing. And this is a scene that centers around Willem Dafoe. It's basically all the like rascals, the little rascal children are like playing around on these park benches and this guy just drives up out of nowhere 
And he's like, if you could cast a pedophile, it would be him. I know. I feel so bad for this guy. They literally had to be like, we want the ickiest looking guy that looks like the ickiest child diddler ever. And they found him. He's like, (laughs) he's like old. He's like 60, pushing 70. He's bald. He's got like compression socks on Mm -hmm. and like white New Balances. Hunched over. He's hunched over. He's got a shitty polo shirt tucked into some shitty cargo shorts. And he, he kind of talks like this. He's got like a little oh, weakling kind of like oh, shrimpy yeah. voice. It's it's terrible. It's awful. And so basically the whole scene is just like Willem Dafoe catches him like, you know. Sniffing around the sniffing kids. Sniffing around and talking to the kids. And he like he, the whole scene is just him. He puts his arm around the guy's neck and goes like, like, how can I help you? Like, what, what are you doing what are you here? Doing here? Yeah. And the guy goes like, oh, I, I, I came here for a soda. I was looking for a, a, a soda machine. And so Willem Dafoe just kind of strong arms him and puts his hand on his shoulder and just guides him forcefully through the parking lot to a soda machine. You come to a motel for soda, you know? It's already... Yeah, right. it's, it's fucking just weird. Yeah, so it makes weird. zero sense. Yeah, and the guy, he, you know, he has this conversation like, oh, you know, soda's not so good for quenching the thirst. Like, you know what you need? You need hot tea. Hot tea with a lemon in it. Like, and it's very clearly improvised, but it's, the subtext is like, I'm going to fucking... I'm going to fuck you up. And so he brings him to the soda machine. He makes him buy a soda. And the old man is like fumbling through his change and stuff and like keeps dropping things and he gets the soda and he goes like well aren't you gonna drink it and then he just makes the guy drink the sprite in front of him and just stares him down and it's so great because this guy has like shrimp like hunched over shitty body posture and Willem Dafoe is just like straight up and down looking like a total fucking chad yeah he has this guy's number and then, yeah, he has this guy's number. And then he walks him back through the parking lot and says, okay, time to get out of here. And the guy's like, oh, no, I wanted to go, you know, sit, enjoy, uh, my, enjoy soda my soda on the soda bench. on the bench yeah. with the children or whatever. <laughs> and uh, Willem Dafoe, like, grabs his, grabs his license out of his pocket, grabs his wallet, and pulls his license out of his wallet. And then he memorizes his name and says, if I ever fucking catch you here again, like, you're going to leave on a stretcher. And then he throws the, the wallet and just everything goes scattering. He goes... Get get out of here! Like get on, go on now! Like that kind of shit. It's um, it's funny because nothing really happens, Mm-mm. but it's amazing to watch. It's just behavior. It's beautiful. Okay, so out of ten, Kelsey, the Florida Project. Well, to me, um, I wanted this to be a little bit more character driven, so. And in my view, it's just, it's unique, but it's rambling and it's uncentered. Mm-hmm. And it is just sort of a meditation of life in an Orlando motel. Bird's eye view, fly on the wall, which I do adore. But I wanted to understand Haley a little bit more yeah. and wanted to, s- frankly, see more of her in the life. Yeah. Um, so to speak. You wanted more. And the kid having to under, like, having to view. From a kid's perspective, your mom's job, which is being in the life. like Right, yeah. And Willem Dafoe kind of trying to save her, but yeah. she won't be saved. Mm-hmm. And she's mooching off of her friend who does go to work. I'd say that I'd call it a um, 6.9. Nice. Okay, yeah, I agree with you. I also wanted more point of view and I wanted more story because that would make... It was beautiful, naturalistic character work but more point of view and more story would have 
had me caring about these characters and what happened to them more. Mm -hmm. There were times where it was very emotional and it was like hard to watch maybe, but there was never a moment where I was like, I'm fully invested in these people's lives. And I think that's because it sort of stayed away from story and like kept that very loose. And I think one of the prouder points in this film is the way that they let the children just play. Like, I'm pretty sure that was very loosely scripted, if yeah, at all. Yeah. And that it's amazing. It's amazing to see children yeah. just be children. Yes. It's such an interesting thing to watch. Um, I was a nanny for many years. So I, I know the magic of that. And mm-hmm. they captured it so beautifully. Um, but... It, it kind of stayed in that realm. It, needed it didn't something move driving from there. Yeah. And the, the thing that could have driven it would be a more structured story that probably was centered around Haley and brought a whole lot more of her point of view and emotional landscape into it rather than just sort of like naturalistic, authentic behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. And I also think that 6.9 is a fair score, but I'm honestly going to knock it down to a 6.5 just because I wanted catharsis and it frustrates me when movies like when movies sneak out of it intentionally kind of sneak out of it Mm -hmm. Um, I like a non-ending I don't need catharsis but it was mini catharsis throughout I guess that I was missing there is meaning to be mined out of that ending don't Mm -hmm. get me wrong I like I see why it works and I understand it But the thing is, it was abstract. Any feelings that I felt about it were sort of like after the fact and like having to think about it a little bit, which to me is just less enjoyable than when I am fully in it and understanding it as it's happening. But it was was a beautiful movie and a lovely experience, like a a lovely like sonic and visual experience. And um, I I was happy to be in that world. Um, but I just wanted a little bit more story to guide me through it. Mm-hmm. Me too. All in all, a successful meditation on Florida and the divide between fantasy and reality. That's what I have to say. With that A24 charm, baby. I love A24. <laughs> I love A24. One day we'll make a movie with them. Hell yeah. All right, babies. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. And uh, we love you. <laughs>